say we're recording. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this chat about intersex people in history and intersex people in the modern age. Um, and talking about this specific subject we want to talk about, about children, intersex children, infants being murdered in antiquity and it being documented, but a lot of historians and museums not really talking about the subject. And also children in the modern day being aborted in record numbers. And that's where I'd like to talk to you about this. So maybe we can start with you, Julie, could you explain to us a bit about your story, your history, and then also tell us a bit about what's happening to intersex children today and how they're being aborted in record numbers? Absolutely. So I am 47XXY. And what that means is mm -hmm. uh, th there have been researched and documented over 42 different chromosomal variations between your typical genders of XX and XY. And XXY is one of those variations. And typically for the longest time, they said it just happens in males. And that's been proven not to be so, that you can be female born XXY as well, uh, that you have an extra chromosome, an extra X chromosome attached to either each one of your chromosomal pairs making you fully XXY, or you can be what they call mosaic or have mosaicism which means it's not attached to every single one of your chromosomal pairs, but still makes you XXY in theory. And I'm 47 XXY. We didn't find out, I was born in 1975 in Alabama. So even if there was quantifying information, and I always say this is very important, even if there was quantifying research being done here in America at that time on intersex or XXY, I probably would have been aborted right? if there was a way, because that's what they do. They would have said it's a, it's a anomaly. It's a disability. Let's terminate him. Uh, I was, I was born male with a really small, what I like to call candy or a clitter deck. Uh, I joke about it now because that's just kind of my thing is to, you know, laugh at yourself first. But, um, you know, my dad. Mean, did, it's just like it's your clitoris, essentially. You feel like it's your clitoris. Just, well, you know, it's bigger than a clitoris, but it's not your standard penis size. So it's somewhere kind of in between on that scale. I've been told that. Feel, when you're, is it a clitoris? Like to you, does it feel like more of a clitoris? I don't. Penis? I don't ejaculate out of it, and it's never gotten hard. So it may as oh, well be. You know, I yeah, pretty much yeah, yeah. use it just to use the bathroom. It's just kind of a urinary function. Um, yeah. And, but we didn't know that growing up. You know, I didn't know that growing up. Uh, essentially, my dad did say that when he thinks back on the moment I was born, the doctor did come out and say, well, it's a little tiny, but it's still a penis. So you have a boy. And my dad said, I thought that was odd. He said, I thought that was odd when presented like that, but yeah. it wouldn't make sense to my parents until many, many years later. Mm -hmm. uh, so at 17 is when I found out that I, I was raised boy, male, had a lot of the issues that young intersex kids have. So um, learning issues and slow to walk and slow to talk and mm -hmm. um, maybe on the autistic spectrum, but even in the seventies, autism wasn't a word that people were using. Yeah. And then at 17, found out I had the extra chromosome, but literally was told we can make him more masculine. Let's just inject him with a lot of testosterone. It'll be fine. It's not a big deal. Happens a lot. And, yeah. and so that's kind of what we did and what we went through. And then in my 30s, in my 20s, I had a prostate cancer scare. So I got off of all HRT. And then in my 30s, my body started to react to the fact that it didn't have a dominant hormone and I wasn't able to fight things off. So uh, I got a bone bacteria disease that ate away at my jawline and I had to have all my adult teeth removed and get dentures. I lost a toe on one foot, I lost a leg. And then just by the grace of God was in London at the Colchester Hospital uh, checking on that one toe issue and they said, you do understand that everything your body's been going through is directly attached to the fact that you have XXY. 
everything. And when you get back to America where they're not researching it, where they're definitely behind on the curb when it comes to research, you need to just eat and absorb everything you can on XXY. The good, the bad, the ugly, the great, everything. And it was that meeting with that doctor at Colchester that I feel really in tunely saved my life because I came back to America to rehab. I was staying with my parents. I became more involved in XXY communities, moderation pages on Facebook. And then I went to the NIH, which is the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, in America, for a study on XXY males. And it was during that week-long study that I found out that I have a diminished Adam's apple. I had one ovary and one testicle, which is why I probably didn't have Klinefelter syndrome. I had precancerous cells in my uterine floor. I had a partial uterus. Uh, I had a, a canal on the, on the inside, but not an opening on the outside. Um, half a pancreas, male-sized lungs, but a female-sized heart. And I found all this stuff out. And then they said, you have lupus and osteoporosis to boot. And there's nothing to cure the lupus or the osteoporosis. But at this point in the game for you, you really need to go on a crap ton of estrogen. And I said, well, that's going to make me swing to the full female end of my spectrum. And they said, yeah. But the trade-off is if you don't do it and you don't have a partial hysterectomy, we all feel that you'll be dead by 48. And so I talked to my parents about it. I talked to my family about it. Uh, they've always been super supportive. And they said, we'd rather lose you as a daughter in 10 to 15 years than to lose you as a son in five. So start taking that estrogen, which I did. And, you know, it's people ask all the time. My situation's different because my parents didn't know at birth. They found out right along as I found out. You know, my family found out as I found out and thankfully they support me. And I always tell people we're in the same storm. We're in very different boats because they're still learning a lot about the process too. But as I start to advocate for the intersex community, I'm just, and I speak more to people like you and friends that I've made throughout the community around the world, intersex and XXY, some of the facts about how we're being erased is so detrimental to our future when I feel like we should be being studied because we get the best kind of a both worlds. You know, we get diseases that females are affected from and we get diseases that males are affected from and sometimes at the same time. And somehow we're still functioning. So why aren't they studying that as opposed to aborting us? But then after you and I started to talk, I thought, well, that makes perfect sense. There is an agenda. There is a huge Western agenda, which is to push two genders only. Mm -hmm. um, but as we've talked more, it makes total sense to me because they've been aborting us for centuries. Yeah. And well, if we made it through the abortion process, you know, if we murdered would be a better word, but if we make it through that process, sorry, as I mess with my hair, um, then we're used for, I think, far worse situations. Yeah, I mean, what I'd like to go back on and talk a bit, a bit more about between us now is what's happening in the modern day. So tell us a bit about the stats and the figures. So children that are born XXY, or rather children that are identified in utero as XXY, what sort of percentages of abortion rates are we talking about here now? So we're talking really about all intersex in America at this point in time. XXY falls into that, obviously. Um, some of the statistics, just to give everybody kind of a ground line, kind of a topography of what we're talking about. They say that 2% of the world's global population is intersex. And they say those are that 2% is the people that have gotten through not being terminated in utero. So there's probably a lot more. But to break the numbers down for everybody, globally on this planet, there's 7.76 billion people 
That means currently 153.4 million people are intersex and fall on that inner spectrum. Now the stats are there were seven research papers written in 2017 or 2018 that said um, out of that 2%, 65% of new parents in the USA that were informed at the 12 week period, because they can check at 12 weeks in utero where your chromosomes are gonna lie. So 65% of parents in the United States that were informed that they were going to have an intersex baby of some kind and advised to terminate did. So where- 5% in America. Mm-hmm. But then when you look at, for example, XXY children that are identified in utero, that goes really high, doesn't it then? Yeah, I well, mean, they, so say one, they say one in 500 boys is born XXY. So yeah, that number would be, but I, but I think, I think those statistics are false too. I think that fits back into that medical narrative. There have to be more people being born because maybe they're all being terminated, but that number just seems, it's not rare. And they keep trying to say, oh, it's rare. It's rare. It's rare. It's rare. You know, and you're thinking it can't be that rare. If, yes. if we're all, you know, they say we're as common as somebody with the red hair gene, which is also two to 3%, then it, it can't be that rare. I mean, yeah, I mean, that statistic is, is similar to the red gene. If we're going to encompass all races, then probably a really good statistic as well is the rate of twins, because the rate of twins naturally born is about 2%, I think-ish. So it's another good statistic um, and yeah i mean that what you've said is completely true all these stats are based on the fact that parents aren't aborting the children and they're not being documented because there's lots well, of things that that, aren't being reported. it's that and it's the medical community pushing fear which well, let's start talking you know, about let's start talking about the history then of the medical establishment and Western culture, which is what we're all being, you know, forced to live in this archaic colonial uh, binary gender environment we've all been raised in and we're still living in today, unfortunately. Um, So when we look back in history, and this is why I contacted you, what's really fascinating is that basically it's very well documented that intersex children were being murdered in Rome. As soon as they were being identified, um, during the Carthage Wars period, they were basically being bragged, shoved into wooden boxes, and floated out to sea in rivers and, and um, seas. Any sea that was nearby, they were floating them out. And this tradition spread all over the Roman Empire um, during a period of hysteria in the Carthage Wars period which is a very long period because it was three wars, sets of wars that spanned a very long period of time. And basically, um, during this period, there's one writer in particular, um, or two writers actually, called Livy and Pliny. And both of them document very clearly cases where children were actually being grabbed from their parents and they were being shoved into boxes and floated out in religious ceremonies. Now, what I really find fascinating is that no one is talking about this. It's literal evidence that intersex people aren't just this new phenomena that's come out of the blue, that actually intersex children were being publicly identified as bad omens. They were literally being seen as portents. That's what they called them. And Livy and Pliny both document various ages of children being grabbed from like three to four to even 16 years old. There's one case of a 16-year-old intersex child who'd obviously been um, sheltered and saved all their life by their parent, and then suddenly in their, in their community it was discovered they were intersex and they were grabbed. The parents were seized and this 16-year-old adolescent teenager was basically put into a wooden box and was floated out in, in a religious ceremony. And well, and probably what happened in that, 
And probably what happened in that situation when you think about it and you kind of think about even what's going on in the world today and you think about that people, they do grow and they become wisdom and wiser and stuff like that. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we repeat the same. At 16, she she or he was probably um, at the age where you marry or you start to have sex in that community. And almost you, you almost know that Somebody told yes, us on that. that. Yeah, it could have been that. Yeah, I mean, yes, absolutely. They could have become sexually active. Maybe they found a partner. I mean, we don't know the inner details of that. Right, but, but I. But that's just, a story that's fascinating that there's loads of documented evidence of loads of children of different ages being grabbed and put into boxes and floated out to sea. Now, let's talk about wider um, sociopolitical Rome and what was going on at the time. So, Rome was very binary, okay? They were specifically educating children in the masculine or the feminine arts. They were specifically from a very early age saying, right, those social behaviours, weaving, uh, tapestries, being a good slave bitch for your husband, those are all the feminine ends of the of the um, arts. And then the other masculine end of the arts is going to be So they were binaryizing them literally in their behaviors and the way they were teaching children right from, from children from adolescent and from well and that's kind of where christianity started too so those are the same themes like i'm christian but those are some of the same themes that yeah that built on yeah and so you can see there's a ladder effect of like building up to where we are now um mm-hmm. and so what i want to talk about as well is the fact that there were actually transgender and intersex gods. And these children were being murdered because of myths that were surrounding intersex gods that had been imported into the the Roman Empire in 204 BC, two gods in particular, one called Hermaphroditus, who's also really a patron of trans women, and also effeminate males. It was there was lots of different genders that could be encompassed in this one god, really. Um, and then also an intersex goddess called Sibylle, who was forcibly genitally mutilated and um, turned into a female phenotypical figure. And those two particular gods were imported into the Roman Empire in 204 BC. Now, the Rome that we have shown in you know, museums and the educational syllabus doesn't tell us this. It's never told any of us that actually a transgender and an intersex religious epicenter of Eastern territories was then brought into the Roman Empire and caused scandal from the moment that they stepped off their boat um, or, the, the you know, the statues were brought off the boat. Um, and so this is what I want to talk more about. And this is why I'm talking to you and loads of other intersex people, because I want to try to bring forward into society this acknowledgement that there is transgender and intersex history that goes back thousands of years around the world. But in the West, it's really, really visible, but it's been masked. It's been literally eroded away. And there are certain statues of hermaphroditus that have even been genitally mutilated and have been turned into female figures. There's actually one museum piece called the Sleeping Venus Stroke Hermaphrodite, which is in the Liverpool Museums. And I'll I'll show you the link afterwards. And maybe when we post this video, we can also post this link to the statue. And this has happened to this statue. It's been genitally mutilated of its um, intersex genitals and turned into a female statue and then renamed Venus. Um, so what's really fascinating is that it was the goddess of love. So you're like, well, yeah, and also it's the mother of Aphrodite because Aphrodite in Greece is Venus in Rome, and Aphrodite right. is the mother of Aphrodite. So um, what I'm trying to bring forward here is that there is a real major modern plight here for the abortion, the murdering the genital mutilation, the abusing, the hiding, the masking of intersex children in the modern day. But this started in history and this history is being masked and it cannot be masked any fucking longer because these things are all connected and tied together. 
if you're hiding the roots of this abuse, you're really, really leading up to the perfect invisible circus that we're living in today for intersex people. Um, and so this is why I want to try to bring forward this recognition, this knowledge of intersex. Well, that's, and if you even- These murders. Yeah, well, if you think about it the way you just explained it for people that are more visual, when you think about the roots on any plant or tree, right? They're That's below true. they're below ground. Exactly. And and even if you cover them up on the topsoil, even if you cut them back or hide them, the roots are still growing. Right? And they're they're still growing yeah. and, and intertwining and growing, and it's just building this layer of roots and root balls and you know, the it's still very much alive. You can't yeah. hide it. It's going so to come up somewhere. Yeah. It's going to grow and pierce through the soil somewhere. And then people are going to be like, oh my gosh. Well, this is what's happened to intersex people that are constantly being chopped down, but the roots are still there because it's intersex human beings and also right. animals and all aspects of nature in plants, trees. They are the basis of life. Because we are all, we all initially start as intersex in the in utero. We all start at that initial place, and then we all, in the spectral way, develop into a spectrum of possibilities. Um, whether that's intersex or whether that's male or female, different variations right. of it. But the truth of the matter is, they're hiding the educational cinemas and museums and the governments, you know, around the world are hiding the tree of life of intersex people from antiquity to now. And so the roots of intersex people is the key. If we unlock this, we unlock the, the mundane. Because often what we're, we hear, critics and people who are totally against the idea of intersex people having any social recognition or having liberties to choose over their own body and all these stupid things, which is just fucking insane if you think about it. Because self autonomy has got to be, it's key to who we are. And, and you know, it's the most basic self human right that we can bestow upon anyone. So I'm getting pissed off because this is ridiculous, you know what I mean? And, you know, you're the, the ones who are the most. I know you. I know you get so passionate. Yeah. Um, you get so passionate, you get upset. I am, yeah, because I know all this history that's come out. And so I see all the lies that they're telling. Do you know what I mean? So anyway, um, what I think we really need to do is. You know, we need to unify, unify about this and we need to really sort of say, no, you can't stop hiding the tree of life and the roots of this intersex tree of life. Um, because, you know, that history is there and it's never going to go away. Every single day, well, away, it's going to be there. And here in the United States, they're really big on trying to stop um, unnecessary surgeries in our intersex youth, which is so important for so many reasons. But I feel like if the history would come out, I feel like if this knowledge was available, that mm. that in some ways would help curb the desire to surgically alter our youth and, our, and the ones that are coming. You know, I think it, that's part of it. Education's key. I tell people all the time, the only way we make a change is by educating. Absolutely. And that means telling your whole truth. That means telling your whole truth, your past, everything. Mm. And um, I, I exactly. feel like this is great. Exactly. And so we need to tell the past of intersex people before your generation of intersex people who, you know, were being slaughtered from infancy in religious ceremonies that were very famous in Rome. Um, but then the fate of intersex people started to change a little bit. And then we've got um, other authors who tell us that, like for example, Felgon of Trales, who says to us that actually an intersex person was brought to the court of Claudius and they naturally shifted from an assigned female um, gender category to a male category and became a warrior in the army. And so they were brought to the court of Claudius because they were seen as sort of like wonderful and touched by the intersect gods that have actually that have helped Rome win the Carthage Wars because that's the other thing that museums I feel are kind of not explaining to the public properly is that Sibylle and Hermaphrodite, Hermaphroditus 
were basically embraced by Rome because they felt that they had helped, basically civilly, that she had helped, this intersex goddess had helped them win the wars. And so they started sculpting her and putting like a, a mural crown on her head and um, documenting her as the protector goddess of Rome. So um, then they became the intersex body and the intersex identity and the intersex gods and the people related to them became more fashionable for a period of time in Rome, um, which wasn't huge time, but it was certainly around 500 years that they that's, were loved and loved. And that's Just where the Sibylis sect came from, right? Is that where yeah, that whole Sibylis sect? Yeah, Sibylis religion was enormous in Rome. It became huge because she, she was seen as the protectress of Rome. So then after that, they were tied to her. Do you know what I mean? They, she yeah. had over this very long period of war that they'd had um, with Hannibal and this constant battle that was there echoing in the background that suddenly had been won. And they then attributed that to her. So then obviously her gender, her birth gender of being intersex, and then the genders of the clergy that was related to her, who are, I believe, a trans and intersex clergy called the Gali, um, who were very, very controversial in Rome. And really, what, the reason why I want to alert people to all this history is because I really feel like there's this mirror between the ancient world and the modern day. What was happening then is so similar to what was happening today. There is such a call in the modern day to kind of lock away trans and intersex human beings, of our existence, the fact that we live, you know, loads of people are like, no, you're just making it up. You're just some dangerous new fad. It's coming along to sort of, you know. But we're repeating, we're repeating history, which is yeah. exactly what they always say happens, that you repeat well, your history, yeah. you know, well, and that's exactly what's happening. I think it's repeating as well, because a lot of people in our present day aren't aware of the history that's gone on before. So it's cycling because the same mechanisms, the same motors, the same uh, institutions are whipping up the same fucking binary um, kind of like a like a jet wash that is kind of washing us away continually. Do you know what I mean? And the thing is why water, and the reason why I use water in metaphors when I'm talking about this is because in Rome, water was seen as being linked to the reason why intersex children were born. They kind of felt like they've been um, sort of affected or touched by these intersex gods that were kind of water-related gods and all the myths around them were water-based and even the kind of rituals um, of like the Sibylian cults uh, and you know and the Gali's traditions they were always documented as having lots of water rituals and like Theophrastus documents in, in ancient Greece intersex religions using loads of water and mimicking and 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 ridiculing it um that there was so much water um so then when you look at a story of like hermaphroditus we can see that when ovid and loads of other um authors describe and, and discuss you know hermaphroditus in their stories there's always water-based stories so when these insect children were then being put in boxes and floated away in rivers and um, seas, it wasn't just because, oh, just get rid of them in water. There was a specific religious reason. Do you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. It was linked to the myths that were surrounding the intersex gods um, and what people linked intersex to, you know, the elements, neutral elements. Um, but there's also other elements that they were being linked to, I believe. Like, for example, there's an intersex god in, in Greece called Phanis, who is related to a continuum of gods in the East, um, and like Mithras, Mithra, uh, going back to India and uh, Mithra. And um, basically, there was a sun god. So they saw an intersex sun god as being another form of intersex divinity. You know what I mean? So there's yeah. loads of different elements of, like Sibylle was a mother nature goddess. She was mother nature. That's what they, they saw her as that. So it's like intersex gods were all different aspects of nature. Um, 
and that's really important to get through to people as well. That well, didn't you got, also tell me? Didn't you also tell me at one point that Sibylle was kind of the precursor to Mary? Once. Well, yeah, in many regards, because the thing is, her mythology is so similar. She's a virgin mother who gives birth to a child at Christmas, who then sees that child being crucified and risen again at Easter. So, but the difference between Sibylle and Mary is that Sibylle was hugely powerful, whereas Mary is a kind of stepping stone, uh, a kind of birthing canal for, for the yeah. God, the main God, the male God. Um, whereas Sibylle was the mother of the gods. She was the big mama. Do you know what I mean? She was like yeah. really important. And no one fucked with her because, well, someone did fuck with her and they generously mutilated her, but they didn't do it when she was awake. <laughs> right. Because the way they generously mutilate, mutilated her was, it was Dionysus, that's what we are told in myths, put a sleeping draft in her well, in her drinking well. And then when she was unconscious, he tied a rope around her male genital. And then when she stood up, she ripped it off. And then in myth, it said that the blood that then went onto the floor, from that, a tree grew. And that was either an almond tree or a pomegranate tree. It depends on what myths you're reading into different authors. And then from that tree, um, there was a fruit, but lots of fruits came out, and uh, a nymph called Nana. I mean, even the name Nana, you know, it's like Nanny. In the, I'm sure You're it's right. Or Nana, so, that's what people call grandmothers well, yeah. sometimes, Nana. And Nana took one of the fruits and put it in her bosom, and then from that was born Attis, who was the virgin child of Sibylle. So Sibylle didn't really bring up the child, or, and um, Sibylle's called Agistis, in Greece, and also in uh, Anatolia, which was her initial um, birth. What's case. interesting is what's interesting is the parallels of Adam and Eve, right? That Adam was yeah. the masculine that was around first, and from him came Eve. So even those stories, you know, the tree of life and, and yeah, Adam, you, and yeah, exactly. And if you, the thing is, it's interesting you just pointed out like that because it's like an inversion then of power hierarchy by saying it's Adam first and then Eve. Whereas right. before that, there was a really, I mean, there was loads of, you know, the religious um, faith of Rome was huge and, you know, enormous and complex and full of hundreds, thousands of different mythologies and different things. But the, there was huge themes to the religion. And Sibylle was a huge theme, which was that she was the mother of the gods hugely important and that she gave birth to a child without the necessity of a male or his sperm she was the intersex one who gave birth to children to the world to you know everything because she's mother yeah. nature you don't get bigger than mother nature so for no. me seeing how the patriarchy ancient patriarchies literally were kind of um piggybacking and taking hostage and um cutting down really important intersex mother goddesses, not just in ancient Rome and Greece and uh, Turkey, which is where Sibylle originally came from, but then a whole continuum of really similarly themed intersex goddesses across uh, some of the most important and influential civilizations in the whole of history, like Samaria, Egypt, you know, Persian Empire, all these different Mesopotamia, um, you know, Samaria is part of that. When you can just see, you can even see though, as, as we follow the stories and as we kind of follow the paper trail or the yeah. scrolls, whatever they're written on. But as you follow that written history, it's always yeah. been about silencing the female energy and making yeah. it more male dominant. Absolutely. And erasing completely the trans and intersex that were actually really high up in right. the kind of gender hierarchy of gods and clergies and also um, the power dynamics between this hierarchy is also, and this is where we can start talking now about medicine, um, that was influencing, I believe, the medical minds of the day that was 
establishing what was code, what was going to be carved out with scalpels, that gender was going to be carved out with scalpels from the very beginning, and it was going to be influenced by, obviously, the religious beliefs of yeah. the people at the time, because it was so fundamental and so... Um, well, and the need, also the need, the need for the male sex to be the dominant sex. You know, it was, it was, that's what I mean is that they were really pushing that male gender as being, especially with religion, we just talked about it, right? That they, it's almost like they took those same stories and made them male specific, where the female now became subservient and less yeah. of a gender and, and that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is that what's interesting is that the males that were obviously deciding all this was a very small percentage of elite males that often got their power either through inherited means or that they, you know, were violent beyond belief and that they had seized power. So then Whatever they decided at the top of the hierarchy, the alpha violent psycho males often was then what was imprinted on the rest of the sheep and the the livestock um, public, human public underneath them. So it was a constant evolution of, and this is where I see it's like these gods were used like chess pieces. And these leaders that were taking power through either violence or inherited power that they really got through violence before them anyway, because someone had got violent at some point to take control. Um, and they were then playing chess with these gods and going at the end of the day, look, medicine is telling us that we're the number one because men are the most important, women are underneath us and trans and intersex is the total bottom of the pile. Certainly in the West, that's what Hippocrates said. And Hippocrates is the most important, I believe, influential um, doctor in the whole of Western medicine and right. world medicine because of their colonial violence they've implanted on the world. Um, Hippocrates clearly stated that humanity was born on a spectrum of gender and then he clearly made it into a hierarchy. He put all the most masculine males at the very top, then went down the scale of three grades of male, he called them, and then three grades of female, which he arranged into a hierarchy and put the androgynous ones, he called, the androgynies, at the very bottom of the pile. So that was a medical call to action for society, not just medicine and doctors. Which they're still using today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, when they're swearing on the Hippocratic Oath, they're swearing on not just the Hippocratic Oath. I believe they're actually swearing on a whole set of beliefs and opinions based on Hippocrates that go way beyond that Hippocratic Oath. And one of them is that sex is two sexes. One, two, they're the most important. The ones in the middle, they're not really that important. Okay, yeah, there are some religions that put them up high. This is what I'm saying that the ancient Greeks and Romans would have said, yeah, this is what they put them up high, the Eastern ones, but we're not really for the East. And they feminize our men. And we need all our men to be warriors and strong. And, you know, these Eastern waters are feminizing the males anyway, like Aphrodite's. So let's just get rid of it all and just concentrate on the two sexes that are the important breeding sexes that are going to keep us going and keep producing warrior males that are going to um, attack and defend our territories and expand our territories into new ones and then also um, produce subordinate, submissive females that are going to be great slave wives and brood mares for those aggressive stallions that are doing that work. So that's their objective. It's there all the way through in Rome, you know, with the masculine arts, with the medical establishment behind them raging as well, with the um, leaders at the top also playing a game of gods, with these chess pieces of gods and the statues and all this shit. And so it was all feeding, and this is what's been going on and on and on until. Well, and that's why. Where, yeah. I was going to say that's why. Um, that makes total sense that they would marginalize us to the bottom. They would marginalize us all to the bottom, right? I was doing that too, drinking. Um, they would marginalize us all to the bottom. They would say we're not worth anything because we can't produce those warrior child or the mm -hmm. warrior, because a lot of intersex people have always been infertile, 
probably back then as well. So they were saying, you know, that, and then, and then that makes total sense that then for the ones that did survive, they would then say, let's lock them in a tower and use them as sex slaves. They can't reproduce, but you can bang the crap out of them. Exactly. And that's what happened with Gali, with the Gali Sibylese cult. They became sex slaves behind uh, closed doors. But then there was also a dance troupe that was very famous called the Sinaidus, the Panidus. I can never, I can never remember exactly the pronunciation anyway. And I'm sure we're westernizing it anyway. It wouldn't have been said like that in reality. But anyway, they were a dance troupe of trans and intersex, I believe, women who were dressing up as women. And some of them were living full time. And they were even saying to ancient writers, I've had the operation. I'm fully woman down below. Um, and they were being used as lap dancers of the Roman Empire and the Rome's elite, who after the Carthage Wars saw these trans and intersex women as being the saviors of Rome. And also, what people don't tell you is that actually this goes way beyond all that shit. I mean, this is so fucking huge. The Gali was actually being, they were being trapped in a temple. They were locked away from day one. As soon as they landed, they weren't allowed out in public. Only on one day, they were basically banished to a temple and they would be, because they were seen as gender bombs. They were seen as binary gender bombs, rather non-binary gender bombs. And so as a result of that, they were being locked away in the temple and being treated like recluses. Well, how many trans and intersex people do you know, like us, who felt like that in a way? We've been locked away as recluses. We're scared to go out, even if we go in the street, just walking down the street to the fucking bus stop. People can start shouting abuse at you. And yep. being ripped just because they think we're some sort of like for an alien from the other another world, or that we're sort of invading on territory that doesn't exist, and you know it's only black, white, male, female binary shit. Well, this is what was happening in Rome, and so when they entered that landscape, that arena, that binary arena, they were banished to the temples, only allowed out once a year to watch initiates, initiate, initiates, initiates. That how you say it. I've I'm knackered. It's like twelve o'clock at night. I'm feeling a bit. Yeah, I know. I know. You're so basically. I think you're saying like um, pledges, yeah. almost like pledges, like um, almost like a fraternity. So they're being exactly. initiated. The new yeah. priestesses that were becoming gali, basically. Um, they were watching them go up on stage and generously mutilate themselves and take off their their male anatomy, and they Ugh. were to born with male anatomy, but imagine they were doing it on stage. So imagine for someone like someone like JK Rowling, all these other people who are trying to make out there was some new fashion that's dangerous. There were people in Rome on stage for 500 years acting out a trans or, or intersex sex change as part of a religious ceremony and then being put away into their temples for the rest of the year, they're only being allowed out once a year. Now, the thing is, we need to talk about this shit because this is insane that all this has happened and we don't know about this. And also, if you look to the modern age, this is so echoing in the modern age. You know, we are living out, we're being forced to live out what those Gali were forced to live then. A lot of us. And um, the thing is that, you know, we're treated like sex slaves, some of us. And yeah. we actually, if you look at the rates of prostitution amongst trans and intersex women, it's, it's really, really high because um, they can't find a job anywhere else where they're not going to be ridiculed or abused. Right. So often we have to be locked behind closed doors. And when I found out all about this history, I just thought, you know what? This makes so much sense. This is now. This is all happening that we're part of nature, that we're born in nature. Okay, we're a biological minority, trans people, and yes, biological minority intersex people, but we're born and we're part of the spectrum. We're intersectional parts of it. So, you know, this makes so much sense that they were treated like that then, and we're being still treated like that now because the Gali and all these intersex gods that I'm telling you about that had an important place in Rome, but that some people, because there was a love and hate relationship here. Some people loved them, other people hated them. But then Same were, as today. Same exactly. as today. But then when they were flawed completely, that's when we were all put under the carpet and masked 
And so that's when you were saying before about it's like we've been cut away and but we're still there, our roots there, and we're constantly growing back. We're always born, reborn in every generation. We have to let this insect life tree grow. We've got to nurture it and we've got to let it grow. And this is why we've got to stop these abortions happening and stop this cycle of toxic masculinity and, I think and it's, toxic feminism, which is what it is. I think it's also really important. We are both two intersex women. I was raised male. Well, I'm trans, yeah. Uh, well, and I'm you're trans. trans. But we yeah. also need to make sure that the world at large that's listening to us talk about this, this does yeah. not negate any of the male intersex bodies that are out there. So there's still, you know, I'm intersex female born male or race male. She's yeah. trans. Mm. And even though we're talking about predominantly female traits and history, because that is our history, yeah. we just need to make everybody else aware that we're not excluding the male intersex bodies that are out there yeah. in the world. Yeah. And that because they are absolutely still a part of this community and story. Part of antiquity, and um, there's actually intersex male um, figures in religion in the ancient mm -hmm. world. Bunis was one of those. He was seen as intersex, but he was seen as a male and a father. So they do exist as well, um, and they were part of history. But fascinatingly, it was the intersex and trans woman that became controversial, locked away, and this is where it gets so fucking huge. When they were then locked away for the rest of the year, they were seen as prophets once they'd gone through this op that they did on stage to themselves. And they were reenacting, in reality, I believe, Sibylle's genital mutilation. Um, and also the genital mutilation, in reality, what we were told, of Attis, who is the son, supposedly, of Sibylle. But when you look at statues, it's it's a statue that's presented as a trans woman or an intersex woman. Um, well, and as, as the brain works, I think when we think about the mental, I think if I watch somebody stand up on stage and do that to themselves, and I wasn't intersex, I think my level of respect would be like, holy crap, we should put them on a pedestal because they just cut their sex organs off on stage. And then, but I'm also thinking in my mind, those intersex people were like, I got to cut my sex organs off because they're going to kill me and murder me if I don't. So well, we, our, our, past was, our past was forced to do it. But then the general yeah, public at large was like, let's celebrate them because I don't have the cojones to go up there and cut mine off. Well, some people, but then other people were very scared of it. So there was lots of males who saw this ceremony is crazy because it was for all intents and purposes what they thought was a male although a feminine male going through this process that they didn't want to do it themselves it scared right. them this idea of frustration and that's part right. of what it was it's that fear of seeing them doing and going no we don't want this to spread amongst our males because we're going to lose our warriors right. that's part of I think, what it was but also the other thing as well is that there was then the myths that surrounded this whole uh, religious ceremony that was going on, the sex change ceremony, that um, people believed they're, stu they're superstitious, like they are today, a lot of people. So whatever you're told, you believe. And so if you're told that when you went through this ceremony, that then you became a prophet and you could see the future, that then that, I think, was a draw towards trans and intersex women actually saying, fuck it, I've wanted to, to live that life anyway, like us too. Like, for example, we were forced to live as males as we have been. In the boy role, um, and then we're allowed to live in the female role. If you see a religious um, group like the Gali, and you see the respect they've got, and you see that they've helped Rome, and you think, okay, well, it's an umbrella, it's a safety umbrella, society's going to fuck me up. So this is a way for me to channel my own my own thing, and this is maybe why I was born in this world, and all this shit, you know, the superstitious shit that would then come in. Um, and so I believe that lots of people wanted to actually join that group in Rome and lots of Romans wanted to join it. There's actually documented evidence of one, there's a, for example, one slave who was killed for joining it and Romans weren't allowed to join it. It was only people from Anatolia, from in Turkey, were allowed to join it because that's where the, the religion was supposedly started. That's where they saw it being, being started with this goddess Agdistis there. But basically... 
that means that in reality, if you think about it, Rome was getting its decisions made for it by Turkish women that were trans and intersex. They weren't even Roman for the most part. They were only allowed to come from that specific part in Turkey, which is Anatolia, because that's where they, they thought that her this goddess had been born. Well, they they didn't see her being born there. Basically, they saw that it was an asteroid that had come down, this black, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, asteroid? No, but was it when they landed? An asteroid? Uh, A comet? Uh, um, Oh God! <laughs> Look, sounds like two. I words. Know, so I've been looking for them for the last fucking year, um, and now I can't remember. The, I'm nervous, and I can't remember the name of it now. It will come back to me. Um, it's you know the particles that fall to Earth that are really dark. Uh, meteorite. God, how meteorite. Stupid meteorite. Stupid. Meteorite. This isn't sci-fi, so it happens. So basically, you know, they saw her as a black rock that had fallen down from Earth. Right, and so that black rock, Rome called to Anatolia to bring the black rock of Sibylle to Rome. That was her kind of symbol. How amazing and how fucking crazy as well. Um, and so the black rock symbolised her, and effectively, they, yeah, I mean, you know, th this whole this whole history is fascinating. We've got to talk about it more. Sibylle's history. Is related to ours in our present day for definite and you know we've got to now start realizing that the murders that are happening today of intersex children that are being washed away are so parallel to those of rome and so parallel to those of other territories that have been completely dominated and inspired and influenced by rome which is america which is england which is spain which is all the countries in Europe, which is Australia, which is the majority of the world because of colonialism then exported this shit around the place. So this is why I wanted to do this with you, babe, because, you know, you brought the stats to me and you said that XXY children are being aborted about 80 or 90% in certain re regions. So yes, yeah, so 65% in 2017 here in the US, 80%, 80%, in Denmark in 2018. And imagine how many abortions are taking place. So when you think about it, and you, um, yeah, and you do it by the numbers and you think about it, you go, oh, 65%, that's still a substantial amount. 80%, that's super substantial. You know, and that I was just Denmark in the US. So I wonder if we studied everywhere, how, how big of that percentage is not making it? I, that just makes your head kind of just explode because you think there are way more, there are way more intersex births happening. And then you think the 2% is the 2% that's made it and the 2% that was reported. Like it just makes you think, especially when you know the history, it's a numbers game and people are being lied to and fear-mongered, to still feed into that agenda that was started nay decades ago, centuries ago. We just talked about it. So I, my big argu argument is people that will say, looks like I lost you. I just lost you. Yeah. 